Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. If you would like to support the Box of Oddities, we would be eternally grateful. Become a premium subscriber. Go to theboxofoddities.com and get signed up. You will get ad-free episodes, you'll get them a day early, you'll get a bonus episode every month, and you'll get access to the Box of Oddities back channel, direct contact to us. And we appreciate it so much. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So anyway, um, we're, we're recording these episodes in advance because we're going to be on the road for a couple of weeks, and a period of that, that, of that time, we are going to be on a cruise, and it's just about the same time that the bonus episode is due, or close to it, for the premium channel, for those of you who support the Box of Oddities. And one of the things that we thought we might do is we're going to take our recording equipment on the ship Mm -hmm. and um, just interview drunk people. Do you mean us? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Us. And anybody else that might happen to stumble across our paths. Oh, I hadn't intended on talking you don't want to, to talk anyone to else <laughs> no. during the entire cruise that, okay no well i'm That's sure that not i'm sure what i signed up for. i'm sure we'll be drinking enough for everyone at all yeah so uh i wanted to give you a fair warning because probably by the time this episode is airing we will be on the cruise ship mm-hmm. doing exactly that you have time if uh, you want to experience that to uh, support the Box of Oddities by joining the premium channel, go to theboxofoddities.com and click on the link. Uh, this is probably a bonus episode that um, you won't want to miss. And then after you hear it, you'll think, why the hell did I do that? Yeah, no, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> so I go first today. For some reason, I was thinking about a time not too long ago, a few years ago, where I installed one of those uh, DirecTV or DishNet uh, satellite dishes by myself. I think it was probably a while ago. Oh, right. It was, it was many years ago. And I decided that, you know, I'd save the 30 bucks and do it myself. Sure. And in reading up about it, I realized that um, if you're one quarter inch off on your alignment Mm -hmm. with the satellite and the dish, you will miss the satellite by something like 900 miles. Right. Just a small, 
tiny, minuscule mistake. Trigonometry is amazing. Over a period of time can cause huge, huge repercussions. Absolutely. So I thought I would do a couple of stories based on that. People that did little things that you didn't think were going to make a big difference. Butterfly effect. But made a huge fucking difference. Got it. According to an article published by CNBC and a report published by The Telegraph, there was this guy named James Howell. He lived in the United Kingdom. Uh, he was an IT worker. He probably still is. In 2009, just as a you know, curiosity, he started mining bitcoins. Okay. All right. And this was a new thing, and bitcoins were worth nothing at the time. And uh, he mined for a while. And then in 2013... He stopped mining. The laptop that he was using, he spilled something on it and ruined the, the laptop. So he pulled out the hard drive thinking that the bitcoins that he had mined maybe one day would be worth something. So he threw the hard drive in the drawer and saved it. Mm -hmm. The rest of the PC he parted out. He just sold on eBay piece sure. by piece. However, later that year, he was cleaning his house and uh, he cleaned out that drawer and he mistakenly threw the hard drive away. And it ended up in a landfill in Newport, South Wales, where it, it got buried with all the other garbage. Sure. Now, I don't know that much about Bitcoin. Doesn't it live like in the in the sky with the... The, the, the cloud thing? Right. Yeah. It doesn't well, have to stay on your person. Not now. Back then in 2009, you know, during that period of time, storing it on, on the cloud probably seemed risky as far as security at the time for, for a lot of people. So he thought it would be safer just to keep it on his, his hard drive. Got it. Okay. So years later, he, um, he saw an article about a guy who forgot he had a few bitcoins mm -hmm. and turned out to be worth quite a bit of money. So he went to look for the hard drive and then realized, oh my God, I threw it out sure. a number of years ago. On that hard drive were 7,500 bitcoins. As of the recording of this episode... Bitcoin is valued today, which is what the twenty third of, of January, uh, nineteen uh, twenty twenty. Um, it's worth eighty four hundred bucks per coin. Wow! So Howell's seventy five hundred lost bitcoins are worth sixty three million dollars, and it's somewhere in this landfill in Newport, South Wales. With more than seven years worth of garbage poured on top of it. Oh, no. Since he made this mistake, which makes, of course, any potential recovery challenging. Sure. A significant undertaking. According to CNBC, uh, a modern landfill, of course, a complex engineering project. And digging one up brings all sorts of environmental issues. Of course. Dangerous gases, potential landfill fires. It's very big and expensive and uh, risky. Actually, we had a fire at uh, our local landfill a few, a few years ago, Trash Mountain. Oh, yes. Trash Mountain. The second time we've brought up Trash Mountain. <laughs> there was a tear in like a rubber membrane that covered an old section of the landfill. And some guy thought it'd be a good idea to, uh, to heal that tear with a blowtorch. Sure. It ignited the methane gases and it blew up Trash Mountain. And oh my God, did that smell bad. For about six months, it was just awful. When was this? Because I don't recall that at all. This would have been 2004. 
five or six. Oh, yeah. Right about that time period. I was drunk that year. So anyway, if he wants to try, if he wanted to try to dig his hard drive out of this, you know, tons and tons of trash, Mm -hmm. Newport City Councils at this point won't allow it. Uh, He he did an interview with the website Wired, Mm -hmm. and uh, the council spokesman said that their offices have been contacted in the past about the possibility (laughs) of retrieving a IT hardware piece that contains bitcoins. But he said digging up and store uh, digging up, storing and treating the waste could cause a huge environmental impact on the surrounding area. Right. It reportedly this particular landfill reportedly contains three hundred fifty thousand tons of trash, and fifty thousand more tons are added every single year. Yeah. No, I don't think that. It's sixty three million bucks, though. At least today. I mean, it could go up and down. Yeah, I mean, but... it does go way up and way down. It's pretty likely, according to officials, that uh, this piece of, of hardware probably has suffered, quote, significant galv- galvanic corrode, galvanic, galvanic or galvanic. Well, I don't know. I don't know where to put the emphasis on that. I'm going with galvanic. All right. Significant galvanic corrosion due to the presence of in the landfill of leachates and gases. Sure. So even if they found the thing, yeah. pretty good chance it's not going to be After able to. all this time and with all that business going on in a landfill, I can't imagine. I think it's best that you just move on. <laughs> um, the operation would also require specially, uh, specially created construction vehicles that would cost millions of dollars yeah, to no. actually create. And while Howells, the guy who threw the hard drive away, has the financial backing in place to fund this effort, according to Wired, he needs permission. And the landfill at this point is saying new. Of course, as you mentioned, cloud-based services are now available and prevent physically losing the hardware where Bitcoins are stored. But there are still a few reasons to be wary of cryptocurrencies. Some experts fear it could be outlawed at some point. Mm. I just don't understand, like, who would um, finance that dig? And what if it is found and it's damaged? Who pays that money back? And Mm. who, like, is it it an investment in maybe, question mark? Yeah. Or, I mean, because, wow. Well, as I said today, as of the recording of this episode, it's worth about $8,400 per Bitcoin. It wasn't long ago. It was worth 17000 like just a few months ago. Oh, wow. So it's come way down. It's gone all the way over to uh, 20000 Yeah. at one point, but it's very volatile. Howell says that uh, even though they won't let him search for it, if somebody stumbles across it, um, he would uh, give them a nice percentage. Like 100% because they stumbled across it? <laughs> well, you got to do what you got to do. I found this story on NPR, a guy named Dennis Dickey. He was going to have a baby, he and his wife, and he wanted to uh, do one of those stupid gender reveal things that everybody hates. Would you stop? Not everyone hates them. Some people really enjoy them, and it's a special time in people's lives, and they want to celebrate it with people. I just don't think anything good can come from a gender reveal party. And here's a great example. Sometimes there's cake. Like, I don't understand how you don't get this. He's a 37-year-old Border Patrol agent, and uh, he's from Tucson, Arizona. His gender reveal party was going to be different, unusual. He bought a target that had a chemical in it called uh, Tannerite. And when you shoot the target, it explodes in a different color. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. When shot with a high power rifle, the company says on its website, it produces water vapor and a thunderous boom. And then they sell as an $85 package, you know, different colors for the gender reveal, pink or blue. Uh, which one is for which? That's up to you. Oh, okay. I think. So Dickie goes out into the desert and he fires the shot at the Tannonite target. Ultimately, it caused a huge explosion. Oh. And started a fire that spread and resulted in damaging more than 45,000 acres of land, which no. is managed by the state of Arizona and the U.S. Forest Service, the Land Bureau, uh, or the Bureau of Land Management, and various private landholders. 45,000 acres. To his credit, he immediately reported the fire to yeah. law enforcement. And uh, he, he helped them. He, he, co- he cooperated, admitted that he had started the fire. He... Um, also caught the blast on film. Oh, geez. Because, <laughs> you know, this is going to be a great YouTube video. Well, were they having like a gathering? Do you know about the situation that this was? I mean, yes, he yeah. wasn't alone. No, no. He had a group of people yeah. out there and uh, it was a little, you know, it was his gender reveal party. I'm guessing alcohol may have been involved. Maybe not with him. He was handling firearms. I don't know. But uh, ultimately, the target exploded and burned up 45,000 acres. Oh, that's terrible. 800 firefighters finally managed to get it contained after two weeks. What? It cost more than $8 million. Dickey has agreed to pay restitution, according to the U.S. attorney. It remains unclear if he has to pay the full amount. Local media uh, reports that uh, in a plea agreement, he has agreed to pay $100,000 up front and another $120,000 in monthly installments of $500 over the next two decades until his, his kid is 20. Wow. I would make the kids start paying for it at 18. <laughs> this is your fault. Yeah. Uh, he's also, he also got five years probation and has to uh, appear in a public service announcement for Forest Service, which I'm sure he's happy to do. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's terrible. But think about that. He's going to resent that kid so much. He sounds like a pretty reasonable no, dude, so probably not. I'm projecting onto him. Oh, okay, I, yeah. because you resent your children? Well, no, but if they burn $45,000 of the beautiful Saguaro National you know, Park in I Arizona. You know, I heard a story about one of your children starting a fire in the beautiful Saguaro <laughs> Valley in Arizona. It's actually true. <laughs> it's actually true. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Interesting. Uh, yeah. He was like, I think he was like eight or nine years old. <laughs> And uh, the neighborhood kid found a, a can of like butane and they decided to make a campfire. Sure. And um, we had to go stomp that out before it burned everything up. His punishment? Should I talk about what his punishment I for that was? I love his punishment. Yes. All right. There were a bunch of loose rocks all over our property mm-hmm. in Tucson. And there was a, a large planter in front of our house, which was empty. So I made him fill that planter up with all the rocks in our yard. It took him like three days. And then when he was done, and he did it. And then when he was done, I said, good, now put them all back. (laughs) (laughs) He never set another fire. No, of course not. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Tell me more of your child abuse story. (laughs) (laughs) According to Cracked, another good example of this kind of thing is the time that a 15-year-old decided to hurl a firecracker into a dry ravine at the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area during a statewide burn ban. 
Um, this is in British Columbia. Like for for why? Well, he just wanted to throw a firecracker. He's 15. The fire engulfed over 120, 121 square miles no. of forest and caused $37 million worth of damage. And there is a video on YouTube that's like a time-lapse video, mm-hmm. and it starts out with smoke, you know, in a little corner of like this mountain range, and then within... 15 seconds of this time lapse, the entire mountain range is ablaze. Oh, God. In an article published in the Columbian, Hood River County Circuit Judge John Olson issued an opinion awarding the restitution total of $36,618,333.24 to cover the cost of firefighting repair and restoration to the gorge and damages to home, uh, homes. Victims include the U.S. Forest Department and the Oregon Department of Transportation. The 15-year-old from Vancouver was told to pay nearly $37 million in restitution. Oh, wow. $37 million? Yep. The the judge's order notes that the boy can set up a payment plan. Of course. This is a a lot of lawns to mow. You know, when you think about it, holy shit. Payments, he says, can be halted after 10 years as long as he complies, completes his probation, and doesn't commit any other crimes. I think that's a a good rule. Yeah. Yeah, no, that seems fair. But the boy's lawyer said he urges for a, quote, reasonable and rational penalty, calling $37 million sought a, a bit of an absurd amount for a child. Uh, the restitution is solely the responsibility of the teen, not his parents, who came to the U.S. from the from Ukraine. Oh wow! How about that? Yeah. Okay, so, so he's fifteen. Let's say he gets caught shoplifting. He's done. He'll be working for the government forever. And he lives to be seventy-five. Okay. Well, it's eighty-five. Okay, so we'll say eighty-five. So mm-hmm. divided by. 70, and that was monthly payments that he could set up? <clears throat> I believe so, yes. So that's about $44,000 a month for the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He needs to keep his <laughs> that nose That was some clean. fast math, so if yeah. I fuck that up, I'm it's sorry. All, it's all right. Anyway, be careful. When you make a small mistake, the end result could be catastrophic. Or it could be great. We don't know. Right. Maybe it's like one of those situations where you happen to put mustard powder into a shampoo bottle and blah, bling, you've got the cure for polio. Yep. Could happen. And now, that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle comes once again from Our Freaks, a box of oddities group. Shannon asked, what's your favorite memory or childhood memory, rather, that's not a, quote, normal memory. Mine, when I was three to eight years old, we lived in an apartment in a house that was sectioned off as upstairs-downstairs, and my mom's first cousin and her husband and two slightly older than me kids lived downstairs. I don't know how or why it started, but my younger brother and I used to pop off the heating vent covers and sit on the edge with our feet dangling inside. Think 8 by 8 or whatever the older style was. One day, as we played with cars or crayons, Bud, whose real name is Dustin, but no one ever called him that, stood up and promptly crashed through the floor and into the downstairs living room, where the whole family was watching The Simpsons. 
<laughs> Bud was about two at that point. He had no injuries, no bruises even. Even uh, several scratches were very superficial. Uh, Mom went running because she assumed Bud was dead and or mangled. <laughs> I stuck my head through the hole to watch where Jody and the whole fam were on the cusp of shitting bricks. And there's Bud giggling. He doesn't remember, but I sure do. What amazes me about that story is she remembers what they were watching on TV. Yeah. So, the question, what's your favorite childhood memory that's not a normal memory? Connie writes, my mom passed away when I was 10. She had breast cancer. In those days, they didn't do reconstruction. So she had a prosthetic breast. More than once, during Saturday mornings, my sister and I would pile into my mom's bed, and she would play catch with us using her fake boob. <laughs> So sweet. <laughs> oh, thanks for the memories. <laughs> Number three. Amy writes, when I was a small child, we lived in a modest apartment with a tiny bathroom. The way that the toilet was installed, the door could not open. So the quote unquote architect <laughs> cut a crescent shaped hole in the door <laughs> so it could clear the bowl when it opened. If you think children peeking through the keyhole is bad, yeah. try taking a poop with a toddler's face sticking through a gaping hole in the door. <laughs> P.S. I was that toddler. Number two, Ashley writes, I grew up in a very small town where my grandpa owned a hardware store slash carpet slash paint store slash funeral home. <laughs> Seriously, sometimes he'd have to travel to bring back a deceased for the funeral and burial, and often he'd take my cousin and I along for a ride. I loved when my mom would get off the phone and ask, you want to go with grandpa to pick up a body? <laughs> I love it. And number one, super sweet. Linda writes, I was in kindergarten. It was way back in the early 70s when children walked to school without their parents. It was also the end of winter and there was a huge puddle of melted snow and I thought I could walk at the edge of it, but I fell in. A boy from eighth grade came over, picked me up, soaking wet, and carried me all the way back home and delivered me to my mom. <laughs> I didn't know him, and I don't think I ever saw him again. That's pretty great. Isn't that sweet? It reminds me a lot of the, the time that um, I accidentally ingested some drugs, and uh, I got <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> my pants came off, uh -huh. and then um, a boy <laughs> at this party that I was at uh, that I didn't know, he was the older brother of a boy that I went that was in my class, um, took me into the bedroom mm -hmm. of the the helm that we were at. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know these people, right. um, and. Uh, tucked me into bed like a little burrito and said, you stay here, and then locked the door from the inside and left. I don't know this Whoa. kid, but he probably saved my ass. <laughs> yep. Well done. Yep. Rando kid who saved Cat's ass. I appreciate it. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. 
Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley fool money each weekday on motley fool money we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on wall street on weekends we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts authors and executives that understand them tune in for insights a long-term perspective on investing and of course stock ideas plenty of them To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. What you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 you got for me? Well, do you know what you and I have in common with the capybara? Um, we've all been to Ecuador. Oh, well, not all capybaras live in Ecuador. No, but there are capybaras in Ecuador. We've seen them. Right, but the capybara in general. Um, oh, not um, individual we're capybaras. We're mammals. Uh, well, yeah, I mean that too. But that's not the specific thing that I was looking for. We've never been mentioned by Stephen King. That's, uh, well, that's not necessarily true. Now, he could have written about capybaras. He talks a lot about a lot of large that's rodents. True, that's very of true. Unusual size. Mm. Uh, you know what I'm getting at is that. 
We don't create our own vitamin C. Interesting. Yes, most mammals do. Are we going to do a scurvy story? We're talking about scurvy! Arr, scurvy. Yay! Scurvy! So I sent a message to some of my friends, and I was like, real quick, don't look it up. Don't think too much about it. Send me quickly, right now, quickity-quick, what do you know about scurvy? And everyone just wrote back, pirates. <laughs> All right. Yes, absolutely. Yes, scurvy dog. Great answer. <laughs> So uh, the majority of animals and plants are able to synthesize vitamin C. They're able to make it themselves. Uh, however, some mammals have lost that ability, uh, and notably simians and tarsiers. Hmm. That's That includes us. We do not make our own vitamin C. We need to consume it. And uh, when we don't, scurvy happens. Now, yes, pirates uh, frequently uh, right. experienced sailors the old, in the old days, the old scurve. Yeah, yes, in, in not fa- just pirates. No, of no, no. But any any seagoing people back in the day. In fact, uh, it was the British Navy that discovered it was a vitamin C deficient. Well, actually, they discovered that if they ate limes or citrus fruit. It would uh, cure scurvy. Well, they actually didn't discover that, well, but they, they, they that's dis- fine. They discovered it that's, for themselves. Here, go ahead. They learned. You just do. They hey, learned it. Teach me about scurvy. I'll just sit back here. And that's that's where the term limey comes from. The end. Box of oddities brought to you twice a week. <laughs> we are awfully territorial when it comes to scurvy. Scurvy's mine. So scurvy, (laughs) yes, is a disease resulting from the lack of vitamin C. And sailors of centuries past suffered often because they didn't eat, uh, you know, vitamin C-containing foods, namely citrus. So it takes about a month of little to no vitamin C intake uh, before symptoms start to occur. And this was not a small problem. It was in Tense. In fact, people who what's the what's the term booked out ship goings anticipated that fifty percent of the ship goers would kick it because of scurvy. Scurvy. It was just fifty percent of them are probably going to not make they it. They built that into the equation. They built it in. Oh wow. Yep. I did not know that. Between the year fifteen hundred and the year eighteen hundred. An estimated two million sailors died from scurvy. Between what years? Fifteen and eighteen hundred. Wow, two million. Yeah. Wow. And at that time, think of the population at that time. That's yeah. two millions, a good chunk. So uh, that time period was called the Age of Sail, and it was a period roughly corresponding to the early modern period where international trade and naval warfare were, it was a big thing. Lots of sailing was going on at that time. Lots of people dying due to scurvy. It was uh, an incredible problem. And science journalist Catherine Price wrote in her book, Uh, According to historian Stephen Brown, scurvy was responsible for more deaths at sea than storms and shipwrecks and combat and all other diseases combined. Wow. According to RealClearScience.com, British Commodore uh, George Anson, his celebrated voyage around the world, it earned him fame and fortune, but it also resulted in the death of 65% of his crew. 
1,300 oh. sailors. Oh, my God. Most of them scurvy. Just on that one voyage. The uh, the book that Catherine Price wrote is called Vitamania. And in it, she talks about the early symptoms of scurvy. So that starts with malaise and lethargy. And you actually become so lethargic that people once believed that laziness was the cause of scurvy. Oh, the other way around. Okay. Yes. Um, After about three months, patients develop shortness of breath, and uh, it will start to happen that their muscles will ache, their bones will ache. Hmm. Um, Eventually, they'll start to see changes in their skin. So it will become very rough. They'll notice that they bruise incredibly easily. Just the slightest touch will cause bruising. Also broken blood vessels. Sounds awful. It does. It sounds terrible. Deprivation also has been shown to have a significant effect on the depression rating scales and other personality measures, including stress, mood, social introversion. So I would imagine that a certain amount of that comes from not feeling well, but lack of vitamin C also makes you depressed. There's no getting around it. Wow. Yeah, that must have been hard to explain to your fellow sailors who thought that the reason you had scurvy was because you were lazy, Mm -hmm. not that you were feeling the malaise because you had scurvy. Come on, Kyle, we need to lift the mainsail. I'm really not feeling it today, guys. Kyle's so lazy. Kyle, batten those hatches. Kyle was a misunderstood seaman. So as the disease progresses... Your gums will become spongy. Ooh. Gum disease can set in. Uh, your teeth will start to loosen inside your mouth. Uh, your breath will become terrible. You'll start to experience severe dry eye and dry mouth as well. You will stop peeing regularly. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, you get very, very bloated. You'll start to look jaundiced. Because of all the pee. Probably. Good God. Yeah, you'll start to lose sensation in your fingers Mm -hmm. and your face. Mm. And uh, you're not going to move around so great. You'll lose like your your motor functions and uh, your glands will stop working the way they're supposed to and your organs. So you're saying nothing good comes from scurvy. Nothing good comes from scurvy. Mm. In fact, National Geographic writes about how your dreams can be affected by scurvy. Really? You you start to get very intense, very vivid dreams. And studies have shown over and over and over again, people suffering from scurvy will dream of food that their body needs to (sighs) heal scurvy. Interesting. And they will be to the point where they are hallucinating that they have that food. So they will wake up believing that that food is available to them. No kidding. And then when they find that it's not available to them, just be devastated because they they truly, their brain told them that this was there for them. Reminds me of an old cartoon I saw when I was a kid. It might have been like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where... A really tall, skinny, thin man and a really short, stout man are stranded on a um, on a desert island. Mm-hmm. And the short, stout guy, 
visualizes the tall skinny guy as a hot dog. Right. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. And the hot dog guy looks at the little guy as a hamburger and they try to eat eat each other. Yeah. It's just like that. Warner Brothers had it going on. Oh, they knew it was up. Thomas Willis, an expert on scurvy in the 17th century, called it a falling down of the whole soul. He said there are numerous accounts of hardened naval officers sitting down and weeping because... I thought thought you were were saying that... One of the symptoms was a hardened navel. Oh, no, that would be weird. Yeah, it'd be In really fact, weird. In it, fact, it's quite the opposite, but we'll get to that. Ooh. So, uh, what was I saying? Oh, that, yes, that hardened w- naval officers. Way too gleeful the way I responded to that. Go ahead. So then your arteries and your capillaries begin to decay, and your blood <laughs> begins to leak into your muscles and coagulates inside your arteries, causing cardiovascular damage. Your gums start to engorge and grow over your teeth. Uh, if the tissue's not cut off, it'll start to protrude from the mouth and uh, decay. Uh, so then you just have this rotting gum m- muscle uh, or tissue uh, falling out of your mouth and 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 dying and and weeping bits coming out of you and dying and dead and it smells real bad i can imagine it so it sounds like you're decaying while you're walking around yeah holy shit and this can happen you said after like a month well this this part wouldn't happen for a while extended yes it will start with the malaise okay the malaise yeah starts um, within a month Uh, Because one of the major effects of scurvy is that your body can no longer produce collagen, uh, which is the glue that holds your body together, the the stuff that makes you bouncy, a a tart, bouncy little muffin, little bouncy bitch. Um, Because that collagen isn't being created anymore, your old wounds will start to open up. Your scars what? will open, and you will start re-bleeding from your your once closed wounds. Oh my God! So this you'll you, just oh. open up all over. I mean, it must have looked like on a long, extended voyage mm. back in those old days. That's what happens when you're lazy? <laughs> yeah, it must have seemed like a voyage full of like zombies. Can you imagine what it smelled like? No. If 65% of the people around you were rotting. I can't imagine what it would have smelled like with a healthy crew Mm. on one of those ships. But whoo. Yeah. Wow. And the cure, one-fifth of the vitamin C contained in a single orange administered over the course of a week. That would do it. Yep. Well, I read a book about the Franklin Expedition, which I I may do a, a deep dive on. In a, in a future episode. But of course, scurvy was one of the big issues that they dealt with. Um, they thought that they were going to overcome that because consuming meat can help offset the, the uh, symptoms of scurvy, which is why indigenous peoples in the Arctic do not get scurvy. They don't have any access to fresh fruit, but they eat like walrus meat and stuff like that in those days. But the technology at the time, the high tech of the time during the Franklin expedition was canned foods. Right. Canned meats in particular. The problem was, since it was such a new technology, they sealed the cans with solder. And so you not only got the scurvy, but you got the lead poisoning. Oh, yeah. That was a fun ride. I bet. So the the knowledge that consuming foods containing vitamin C is a cure for scurvy uh, – unfortunately, was known long, long, long before 
people continued to die because of scurvy. Uh, so it was almost like the it was known and forgotten repeatedly over history. No kidding. So in the 14 and 1500s, sailors were were known to plant fruit trees on islands that were the the in between stop. No way. Because they knew that that was the way to to keep their their sailors healthy. Um, but unfortunately. Uh, information spreads very slowly. There are journals of ship physicians dating back to the 17th century that reveal that a, a good few stumbled upon the healing powers of oranges, limes, lemons, and cabbages, but they didn't get to become public knowledge, which is uh, is what led to this continuing for as many years as it did. Uh, there are lots of reports of uh, people being stranded uh, from like they're not a shipwreck necessarily, mm-hmm. but landing someplace that they weren't familiar with right. with a bunch of sick crew and the natives providing them with scurvy healing foods. Hmm. So uh, scurvy's decline began in earnest in 1747 when James Lind demonstrated and published the the power of citrus to treat the disease. And that's when it really, really started. That's to crazy. Crawl. That is crazy. Yeah. So why didn't that information get spread around? Was it... um, Who trusts pirates? Yeah. They spread that information around and people said, no, that's fake news. (laughs) It comes from a pirate. Yeah. It's, uh, It's hard to say why uh, it didn't catch on. But like I said, in the 1400s, there are published, not published, but I I guess it would be published. There are writings about Mm -hmm. how certain foods cure scurvy. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. I thought so. The old wounds thing blew my mind. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Really. I mean, seriously. Imagine having, you know, a 16th century mentality and and knowledge Mm. of the world. I mean, they were certainly starting to learn and discover and explore, but you go out on this ship and all of those symptoms start to happen. I can't imagine what was going through their minds. I can't. And also I think about like, I am a modern lady person who grew up in a relatively cushy uh, situation. I mean, we were not doing great, but I mean, I was fine. Yeah. And uh, I am covered in scars. Mm. So I can't even imagine what a pirate or a person who sailed the seas for a living must have been covered in wounds oh, that yeah. just like, yeah, just that, all your insides, just outside of you all of a sudden. I didn't even think about that. That's an excellent point. I was thinking oh, all of my scars. You know, I've got, you know, I got a few here and there. One very distinctive one on my forehead. No one else notices that ever. You so. think it's sexy, though. Oh, I just say that I don't notice it. <laughs> That's That came from a beer-fueled midnight Frisbee session. That's, that's all. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> um, but pirates, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's a rough life. Yeah. I mean, they're fighting. They're stealing. They're fighting some more. And... Yeah. I mean, holy crap. All the wounds that they would accumulate over the years of yeah. pirating. And then they all open up at once. Yeah. That wouldn't... Wow. Yeah. I bet the captain didn't let them in his cabin. Get out of here, Kyle. You'll ruin my carpet. God, Kyle. Now that makes me want to do, you know, my episode on the Franklin Expedition, which... Well, you've already told him everything that no, was exciting No, no. There's some it. really cool stuff that I haven't gotten <laughs> to. Really cool stuff. And maybe that'll happen once we get back on land ourselves because while this is running while this episode is available we'll be on the high seas but i promise you freaks we'll bring plenty of citrus mostly in my tequila sunrise 
song stuck in my head. We love you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. Provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.